you, Emmanuel. And uh, amen to that. Urban Impact is a great ministry. I know some of the folks uh, involved with that. And uh, it really is a biblical, a solid example of biblical principle put into practice. And so uh, I encourage you to do that. Good morning, Calvary. Oh, that's pretty good, especially for, uh, do it again for those who weren't quite awake. Good morning, Calvary. It's good to be with you again, and it's good to see smiling faces. Most of you have smiling faces. Some of you look like you've been sucking on persimmons uh, this morning. And that's okay. Uh, hopefully, but how many of you do not know what a persimmon is? Yeah, a, a number of If you come from the South, you know uh, persimmons are not very uh, tasty. But uh, regardless, it's good to be together, uh, persimmon suckers and all. It's, uh, it's great to be with, with uh, God's people. Before we get into his word, why don't we pause briefly? and ask him to bless this time. Father, we thank you for the realities of these uh, hymns, these glorious hymns that we've sung. Thank you for that precious truth that you will hold us fast, not based on our abilities or uh, our being worthy, but because of who you are, your character and your promises. And we thank you and we praise you for that. Father, thank you for this church, what you're doing in and, and through it. Thank you for uh, the ministry of the youth this past week and, and being your light shining in the darkness and for uh, the mystery of Jim and, and his faithfulness to that. And Father, we ask that you would bring great fruit as a result of those efforts. And now, Father, as we look into your word, we thank you first for your love that you would reveal yourself to us in the word, the written word, but also the living word, Jesus Christ. And so as we gather around uh, this passage, these precious truths, we ask that you would accomplish your good and perfect purposes in our hearts. Father, I ask that you would accomplish your purposes despite the speaker and his flaws. You know them, and thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever really thought about doors? I mean, doors are not on the top 10 list of most folks that I, uh, I encounter. Um, how many of you have ha ever had to purchase a front door for your home? Let me see. Okay, some of you have. Uh, we are in the process of finishing a, a wonderful task. Uh, some of you know I'm a full-time chaplain for uh, police and first responders here in, mostly in Southwest Connecticut, but uh, with the Connecticut State Police across the entire state. And um, uh, we had been praying for some time to have a ministry base for uh, our, our, our efforts, and God has provided in Newtown, and we're building a house, and it, it is miraculous. We're basically able to, our mortgage, I was telling Emmanuel earlier, uh, when I've been serving as a co-contractor, uh, and so as a result, um, we've been able to keep it the price low, and our mortgage is going to be less than what we could rent a three-bedroom, two-bath house in Bridgeport for. So. It's all miraculous what God has done. But we built before. We built uh, when we lived in outside of Nashville, and we were working with a, sub, with a contractor who basically said, okay, here are your options, and I'll take care of the door. And we didn't have any decisions to make regarding the front door. And it was a metal door. It was a six-panel, and, and it was fine. Didn't think anything of it. Had a little, white, uh, a little glass panel off to the side. Well, when we're building this house in Newtown, uh, we have to make the decisions on everything, including the front door. So I thought this is not going to be any big deal. Uh, I go on Home Depot website, and I'm looking in our price range, and I 
am amazed to find that there are seemingly endless options for a front door. Ranging in price anywhere from $320 up to $8,000. Now, I, if anybody in here is in the market for an $8,000 door, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. Uh, I, I can't imagine that kind of span in a simple front door. And you can get it solid. You can get it with lights, uh, called lights, or side light, one side or the other over the top. It can be arched. It can be wide. It can be narrow. There are incredible options for doors. But as I was preparing for uh, this time in, in God's Word this morning, it occurred to me, if the door does not perform its primary function, it's virtually worthless. I mean, imagine spending $8,000 on a front door that does not perform its primary function. And if you have a $300 door that works, and you have an $8,000 door that doesn't work, which door are you going to go with? The $300. So the focus is on what that door does and how well it does it. In the passage this morning, Jesus, and, and this is, these I am statements are, are metaphors. When Jesus said, I am the bread, he obviously wasn't saying he was literally a, uh, a, a morsel of manna that had come down from heaven. When he said he is the light, and now when he's the door, he's not saying that he is a physical door, but he is using a metaphor. And in so doing, he is putting forth before his disciples, and by the way, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are listening, that he is providing a vital function for the sheep. And this morning we're going to look at that. Now, for us to do that, we've got to appreciate some of the context. As the pastor said uh, last week in, in talking about being the light of the world, there are some uh, essential elements in this whole discussion that we really need to understand. So we're going to first look at, at some of the, the setting. And the setting in, in your outline, it says sheep, shepherds, pens, and pastures. And there are two aspects of this. Uh, there is the immediate culture regarding sheep and, and uh, all of the logistics that go with uh, taking care of sheep. But then there's also the aspect of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, because of what has happened in chapter 9 and even 8 before. So let's first talk about sheep and shepherds and pens and pastures. How many of you have ever uh, spent any time around sheep? Go ahead and put up the, the next slide, guys. Uh, any shepherds or shepherd wannabes or, or any, any? Okay. In olden days, uh, after a shepherd had had his uh, or she, her sheep out in the pasture, they would lead them into, at night, a pen. And this is actually a, a pen from uh, the area of Amman, Jordan. And if you can see, there is an entrance up at the top, but there are stones built up all the way around. And so sheep are inside this fold or this sheep pen over the course of the night. Go ahead and hit the next slide. And if 
they were, uh, uh, if they were exposed to potential real harm, the walls could be built really high, and this would uh, eliminate the threat of predators and, uh, and potential thieves from uh, breaking in. But an interesting point was also in the next slide, the shepherd, if you see up at the top, the shepherd would perform as the gatekeeper or the gate or the door. Now, do you guys have the passage this morning? Do you have it? Let's go ahead and put the passage up there. This is the passage in understanding these images. It helps us to understand what Jesus is getting at in this passage. Uh, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Let me pause here. Sometimes if the shepherd had to go away for a while, there would be a trusted gatekeeper who would stand there at the door to keep watch over the sheep. And when and the sheep wouldn't know that gatekeeper, but when the shepherd would return, the sheep would hear his voice and everything would be okay. Uh, verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and uh, to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so in this context, Jesus is utilizing the imagery of the day of uh, sheep and shepherds and pens and pastures. The, it was an agricultural uh, realm and everybody knew what Jesus was, was talking about. But in this, he is identifying himself as, and Bill's going to talk about this more next week, the shepherd who functions as the gate, the door. Now, sometimes a, a fold, a pen would have a gate, but it was more common than not that the shepherd would serve as that gate. And as you would, uh, saw, would sit there over the course of time to keep the sheep in and keep undesirable out. And so... Go ahead and hit the next slide. Under uh, this, the setting, sheep, shepherds, pens, you have that cultural aspect. But that cultural picture, that agricultural scene that Jesus has just presented, is set against the backdrop of what has happened in chapter 9. In chapter 9, Jesus comes upon a man who's uh, blind, and you know the story where he, he makes mud out of his spittle and puts it on the man's eyes, and he's healed. And his friends and neighbors are amazed that this man has actually been healed, and so they take him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees understand that Jesus is at work, and in a moment I'll talk about the, the larger picture here. Uh, they are more concerned about the fact that Jesus has performed this miracle on the Sabbath, of all things. It was, in their minds, it was, how dare he? 
You see, and if you're not familiar with the, the history of the time, the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had developed this extensive code designed to, quote-unquote, help Jewish people follow in line with the teachings of Scripture. Now, there were, it wasn't just enough to have the Old Testament, the Torah, uh, the law in the first five books of, of the Old Testament. They, and one person described it as, here is what has to be kept, but they built walls around that so that in order to keep what was at the center, you had to obey all of the intricacies of the walls around it. Consequently, the people, the Jewish people of Jesus' day, were overwhelmed with this devastating burden of having to keep all of these very minute, detailed religious expectations. And so in Jesus' teaching, he came and he basically said, these guys, the religious leaders, they've missed it. If you read the first few chapters of Matthew, you pick up on this. The kingdom is all about your relationship with the king. It is not about performing on some level of perfection. It's about being in the right relationship with the one who is perfect. And so the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders, they were outraged that Jesus would be so brazen as to do what they viewed as a work on the Sabbath, because you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. And so they were out to get Jesus. And they approached him at the end of uh, chapter 9, and they're calling him to task. And so Jesus is giving this instruction in that context of worldly expectations, religious expectations, versus the true nature of following the king. So that, before we talk about Jesus being the door, we need to understand that this is the dynamic, the tension that is at work in the religious leaders and the disciples. They're, they're watching this. And you, know, and you can see their eyes getting wide that Jesus is really getting under the skin of the religious leaders. But then the next thing is Jesus' outrageous claim. Before chapter 9 is chapter what? Very good. And in chapter 8, you have an extensive interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And chapter 8, basically, if you were looking at the book of the Gospel of John, chapter 8 provides the pinnacle where the tension reaches its climax. And the Pharisees start to say, okay, we've got to get this guy, because Jesus is calling them to task for these religious standards. And at the end of the chapter, and they're saying, who are you? Are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus said at the very end of chapter 8, before Abraham was, what? I am. Now, reading it in the English, it doesn't jump out as much. But the book of John, well, the New Testament, New Testament was written in first century Greek. And what had happened is 
the uh, Jewish leaders of the time translated the Hebrew from the Old Testament uh, into Greek. The Hebrew scriptures translated in Greek. And there was a phrase and a grammatical combination for those leaders of the day that matched exactly the words of God in the burning bush in Exodus 3. And you remember what God said? He says, uh, Moses said, uh, who shall I say sent them, uh, sent me? And God said, tell them I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. And this is the dramatic, the mind-blowing declaration that God is pre-existent and self-sustaining, totally autonomous, that he is, was, will be, that he is the ultimate perfect state of being that he is the almighty God. Yahweh, that you've heard, and sometimes we hear uh, said Jehovah, but Yahweh is that word, I am. And when the scribes translated that Hebrew into Greek, it was this phrase, for what it's worth if you are uh, Greek nerds, ego eimi, which means I myself, I am, and no self-respecting religious Jew would ever make that statement using that pronoun and that verb for fear of blasphemy. But what does Jesus do? In their face, he says, before Abraham was, not I was, before Abraham was, I am. And that's why the last verse of chapter 8, they pick up stones and they're going to stone him. They're going to kill him because they believe he was guilty of blasphemy at that point. So Jesus has come out in the open and to remove all doubt from anybody's minds, he says, you need to understand, I myself, I am Yahweh. And this is consistent with John's whole point in the gospel, John is really preoccupied in his old gospel of underscoring the reality, the deity of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by Him. Without Him, not anything was made. But you go back to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so John really, in his gospel, is honing in on this notion that Jesus is God, Yahweh, in the flesh. And when he recorded Jesus' statement, I am, it was his unadulterated understanding that he himself was Yahweh in the flesh. And this was enough to unhinge all of those religious leaders. So, that has ha happened just in the recent past with the Pharisees. And then Jesus uh, heals the blind man on the Sabbath of all things. So the Pharisees are even more outraged. And so some of these Pharisees are listening when Jesus starts to talk. And in this context, he's using this illustration of the, the gate, the shepherd being the door, and keeping out those who would steal and destroy. Who was he pointing at that would steal and destroy? The Pharisees. Their false teaching, they're putting this emphasis on doing works in order to get into a right relationship with God and into heaven. 
Jesus is saying those people, they're the thieves, they're the robbers, they're the ones who kill and destroy. Didn't settle well with the Pharisees. They, they weren't very happy about that. But in this phrase, I am the door, in verse 7 and 9, Jesus uses that same Greek grammatical construction. So that for the Pharisees, it's one more dig that outrages them, and the disciples are like, oh boy, here we go again. So that's the context. Now, let's look at the heart of this passage. Is this me, guys? Okay. Let's look at the heart. And in this statement of Jesus being the door, there are three essential functions of the door. And if you're writing notes, you may have to turn on the back because each of these three points has an additional three subpoints. You can't tell that I'm Baptist or anything. Uh, but the first, the primary function of the door, we're going to talk about what a door meant means for us, what a door meant for sheep, and what the door means for Jesus. So the first understanding about Jesus as the door is that the door provides entrance. You cannot get into the, the structure without the door. So for us, you know, we're building. We're building what is, is uh, basically a modern farmhouse and this beautiful structure and everything. But if you don't have a door to get in, or if you put in one of these $8,000 doors and you can't go into the house, it's a worthless door. But for the sheep, the gate or the shepherd, the shepherd allowed the entrance of his sheep, the ones that belong to him. And it provided them entrance into the safety of the sheep pen, the sheepfold. And having that relationship with the sheep, and a flock of sheep has its own family dynamic with the shepherd is kind of the, the central part of that. And so there was entrance into this safe haven of relationship with the sheep and with the shepherd. But for Jesus, Jesus is saying, I am the one that provides entrance into the family. And he uses this phrase, whoever comes in will be saved. In other words, Jesus is the way the entrance into this right relationship with the Heavenly Father and the right relationship with His people. There is no entrance into the family, if you will, apart from Jesus Himself. Let's talk about this for a minute. It's easy as... Peter has said the last couple of weeks, it's easy for us to fall into the mindset that if I want to be right with God, I really have to follow what the Pharisees were saying. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And if I do enough of these, I have this sense that God is frowning at me, but if I do enough of these, 
that frown might lessen a little bit, might turn up. There may be a smile, but he will say, okay, come in. And that is a false understanding of God. It is what the Pharisees were telling the Jewish people, and Jesus said, no. The way for you to come in, the way for you to be saved, be part of God's people, is not by keeping all of the codes. It's by coming to me, the shepherd. Bill's going to cover more this next week, and, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. But he's going to explain that dynamic between the, the sheep and the, the shepherd. But for our purposes this morning, the shepherd is the way into the relationship with the Lord. Now, I grew up, um, I, my dad was a pastor, and I grew up in the South. And, and the South, uh, Christians had, had it kind of simplified. Uh, this code is, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go out with girls who do. And so, I'm good. And in that culture, at ages 10, 11, or 12, you were, at the end of the service, expected to walk down an aisle, recite a prayer, get baptized, and your get-out-of-hell-free card was punched. You, everything was safe. It was taken care of. But each religion has the potential of falling into that mindset. If I put enough into the offering plate, if I attend enough services, if I'm willing to volunteer at church, if I'm willing to work in the nursery, if I'm willing to teach middle, boys Sunday, middle uh, school boys Sunday school class, then with each measure, I get closer and closer to God. And while we are supposed to, as we've said so many times in the past, while we are, if we're following the Lord, there are things that we do out of a loving relationship that flow out of that. But those things don't get us closer to God. We come into the Lord's presence through Jesus. Access to God is not through a code that we keep perfectly. Access to God is through the perfect one who paid the price for our sins. So, Jesus as the door provides entrance into that relationship with the Father. Secondly, the door provides protection. You know, when we're putting this door in the house, we put locks on the door. Why? Because there may be somebody in Newtown that wants to enter into our house. We don't have anything that's worth stealing, but they might not know it unless they come in and look. Uh, our uh, younger son and his family live in um, uh, Washington Heights, the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And in the apartment complex, some of these doors have five locks on their door. And to get in, you know, we ring the door and you hear click, 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 click. And the grandchildren behind the door, oh, Grammy and Grubber are here. But you got to unlock all of these locks to get in. Why? Because there are individuals in society who do not have our goodwill at the heart of their motivations. There are people in society who would like to take what is ours. There are some people in society that are not opposed to hurting us. 
and therefore a door that is properly locked provides protection from such evil. And so it was with the sheep. Sheep are susceptible, and I won't take away from uh, Bill's uh, emphasis next week, but sheep need protection. Thus, the walls all the way around, but someone at the gate to keep out foxes, wolves, lions, bears, uh, predators, or people who would steal. And so it was important that the shepherd be truly a shepherd and really care about the sheep, and the shepherd would stand and defend anyone or anything uh, against anyone or anything that would try to steal the sheep. And so it is with Jesus. Jesus, in his declaration, as God, Yahweh in the flesh, he is making this point that he is there to protect the sheep. The sheep under his care don't have to worry about predators coming and destroying them or thieves trying to steal them and kill them for their wool or for their, their meat. The sheep could have full confidence that the shepherd is there. And in this reality, Jesus functions as that door to protect us. In our relationship with the Lord, as we are in this sheepfold, this sheep pen, we have every reason to have absolute confidence and comfort that Jesus, the mighty God who became flesh, Jesus stands between us and any force that would want to harm us. From a practical standpoint, if you have surrendered your life over to, to the Lord this morning, the only thing that can come through that door, Jesus himself, is that which he says is okay. You know, in He Will Hold Me Fast, that's such a powerful psalm, but it's in the context of all of the threats and the dangers and the concerns. We are not sheep who are just cast out into the wilderness uh, left to our own devices. We have a shepherd who stands there, and if a difficulty comes, it's because the shepherd has said, I know my sheep, and I know what they can handle if they will trust me, and so I will allow this struggle, but I will not allow it to destroy them. If they trust me and will walk with me, they will get through this struggle. The door, Jesus, offers absolute protection against all spiritual forces. There is not a spiritual force on this planet, in this universe, in existence, that can penetrate the door of Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you have that absolute protection. So Jesus, the door, provides entrance into this right relationship with God and his family, not through works, but through him. In Jesus, you have this door that provides protection against 
the forces of evil, the enemy and all of his forces. But thirdly, the door, a good door, provides access, ex, I'm sorry, provides exit and access to the pasture. Now for uh, us, if the house catches on fire, we go to the front door and we can't get out, then it's a worthless door. So for everybody understands that the door allows us to go out of the house to do what we need to do. For the sheep, after a night in the pen, it's time to go out into the pasture. And so the shepherd basically leads, calls them, and leads them out, and they go to the shepherd, I mean, uh, to the pasture. And you go back to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And in that imagery, there is this idea of sheep finding rest and finding uh, uh, relief and restoration in green pastures and by still waters. And Jesus, as this gate, in, in verse 10, it says, the thief comes to steal and destroy, and as the door, he protects. He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So in Jesus, as the door, he is the access to here on earth, while we're here, this uh, full measure of green pasture, still water, uh, rest, restoration, fulfillment, uh, the word there, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, it's not just a little bit. It's like overwhelming levels of goodness. And so there is that aspect of when we're in Christ, we have access to the most abundant life that can be lived here on earth. There is rest. There is restoration. I always like to go to uh, Galatians uh, 5 where... It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are phenomenal, extraordinary qualities that people outside of Christ long for. Love, that selflessness that is concerned for the well-being of others. Joy, that inner overflowing abundance of, of ecstasy in Him. Peace, shalom, everything is whole, everything is good. Goodness, doing that which is good for people. Faithfulness, being faithful to everybody, kindness. All of these things that are the antithesis of what the world has to offer, as we walk in the Lord, He produces that inside of us. That comes through Jesus, the door, who allows us access to that. But it's not just here. There is abundant life forever and ever. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So often we think of eternal life as that from a time standpoint, that it is a, uh, a quantity, that it's ongoing and it doesn't stop. And that's true. But it's not just quantity, it's quality. It is life that is full that is going on forever and ever. The sheep in Jesus' fold have access through him the door to the incredible riches of not 
money and bank accounts and, and things, but of a relationship that provides the ultimate experience that a person can have. And that comes through the door, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said, I am, he is declaring, going back to chapter 8, he is declaring that he is, yes, indeed, God in the flesh. But through him, we have access, we have entrance into that perfect relationship with, his, with the Father and each other. We have protection from the enemy and all of his forces, and we have access to the fullness that he has provided for us, both now and for all eternity. That's in Jesus. That's what's available to us in Jesus. Years ago, I was pastor of a church down in South Florida. And this is in closing, in case anybody's concerned. <laughs> um, I was pastor in South Florida in uh, Deerfield Beach. And we had two young ones. We had a, uh, a Ford Tempo at the time, a four-door standard, and, and it, it served its purposes. But we were uh, looking to move into the minivan uh, phase of life with uh, small children and activities and so forth. And so I was driving down Hillsborough Boulevard one day and I see this blue uh, caravan in a parking lot beside a Chinese restaurant and it had a for sale. I was in the shopping center looking uh, at another store and I saw the for sale sign in this caravan. It was outside a Chinese restaurant and uh, the instructions were to go inside and I went inside and there was a uh, Asian American young man uh, who said that he was it was his for sale. Uh, broken English, but we could communicate. And um, he said that it belonged to his wife. Her name was Ling Ling, and that she used to drive it, but that she was now in the hospital with cancer. And I said, "Oh my goodness, I'm sorry, sorry to hear that. I would I'd be happy to meet with her and pray for her." And he said, "Oh, that would be that would be wonderful. Thank you." And then he got this look of consternation on his face. He said, but she's Buddhist. And I said, that's fine. I, I would be, if she would receive me, I would love to go to the hospital and pray for her. And he's, oh, okay. And so he arranged, and I went into the hospital and saw her. And she saw me, and a frown came upon her face, and she looked away. And I, her husband introduced me, and I talked, and she wouldn't look at me. And, uh, and I, I really... I felt a little awkward. You know, I'm there to pray for her, but she's frowning and she's looking away. And so I've, uh, I put my hand on her shoulder and I prayed for her. And, and, uh, and I said, uh, I won't come back if you don't want me to. And she said, no, come back. I said, okay. And so the next week I came back. And it was the same kind of thing. She was frowning and looking away and, and, um, and I prayed for her. And then she was transferred from there to a... Uh, a nursing home, because it was uh, terminal cancer. It was related to uh, her neck. And uh, so she was in this nursing home, and, and I started, I would go, and my wife started going with me, Debbie. And she started to look at me, but she had this frown. And, um, and I said, you know, if you don't want me to come back, she says, no, no, please come back. And I prayed for her each time. And after three or four times, um, and I'm ex she is asking questions about how to be right with God through Jesus. And I'm explaining. And 
after several visits, and this is several weeks, uh, she, she said, I am afraid. And I said, well, why are you afraid? And she said, I follow Buddha. And I am afraid if I give my life to Jesus, he will kill me. And I said, no, no, Jesus offers full protection. And she says, no, I can't do it. And so I left, and then the next week came back, and, and she asked more questions, and I said more, and she said, no, no, I can't do it. And she still had this frown and this deep, deep troubled look. And one week I came back, and the first thing she says is, okay, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And I said, okay, and we prayed. And she gave her life to Jesus at that moment. And I saw a look of peace come upon her face. And she smiled at me for the very first time. I came back the next week, and, and the smile was still there. And, and we prayed again. And the next week when I came, uh, she had just passed. Uh, her carotid artery had ruptured. Uh, uh, she went within just a few moments. And, by God's providence, I got there right after. I'll never forget, the expression on her face was peaceful and serene. And over the course of those three months or so, she came face to face with the reality of Jesus as the door that gave her access to a right relationship with God, not through doing works according to the, the faith that she had been taught, but according to this relationship with Jesus. She came face to face with the reality that Jesus at the door would protect her from any potential spiritual threat. And she came face to face with the reality that Jesus could give her abundant life. And for three short weeks, she experienced peace and joy on this earth. But today, praise God, she's experiencing ultimate joy and celebration in the presence of her Heavenly Father. Because of Jesus, the door, who provided that for her. And offers that to any who desires it. I'm going to invite Emmanuel to come up but to lead us in closing him. But I'd like to throw out to you this morning. I suspect most here have come to know Jesus as the way to a right relationship with the Father, as a way for protection, as a way, the means for abundant life now and forever and ever. But if you have not, please understand it's not going to happen because of performance. God never looks at our performance as the standard by which we enter into a right relationship with him. He looks at what Jesus did on our behalf and our willingness to trust him. If you're here this morning and you've not entered into that relationship, if you don't have that relationship with the Father, if you don't feel that protection, if you don't have that abundant life that comes only through Christ, I would encourage you to take advantage of his offer today. 
Uh, after we're finished, I'll be down front if you have any questions about it. I'm going to invite, uh, as we're closing, the elders who are here this morning to, uh, after the service, come to the side of this, uh, the platform and, and be here for a moment. But if you have not given your life over to the Lord, if you've not placed your faith in Him, I would encourage you to do that today. Father, we thank you and praise you for your love, your grace, your mercy that makes it possible for us to enter into a right relationship with you and with each other, to experience protection from the enemy and all of his attacks, and to experience the fullness of life now and forever and ever, all through Jesus Christ, the great I am, our door. Father, help us to rest in that and rejoice and celebrate in that. And Father, help us to yield ourselves more and more to his lead and his authority. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.